Dr. Fauci, our exalted leader, the ruler of the world, has gotten the coronavirus vaccine. In our nation are saying, if Dr. Fauci gets the vaccine, I'm going to get the vaccine. So tell us a little bit of why it's important. Well, for me, it's important for two reasons. One is that I'm an attending physician here on the staff at the National Institutes of Health Clinical Center. And so I do see patients. But as important or more important is as a symbol to the rest of the country that I feel extreme confidence in the safety and the efficacy of this vaccine. And I want to encourage everyone who has the opportunity to get vaccinated so that we could have a veil of protection over this country that would end this pandemic. Okay, so just a little prick and Dr. Fauci is going to be absolutely fine, immune to the coronavirus. That's the good news. The bad news though, and Fauci has this bad news, there is a new strain of coronavirus and that strain is very likely already in the United States. When you see something that is pretty prevalent in a place like the UK, there are also uh, uh, mutations that we're seeing in South Africa. And given the travel throughout the world, I would not be surprised if it's already here. When we start to look for it, we're going to find it. Certainly, it's not yet the prevalent one, the way it seems to have assumed that prevalent nature in the UK. But we're going to be looking for it right now. And I'm sure sooner or later, we're going to run into it and find it. Now, Dr. Fauci says probably as of now, the vaccine covers this new strain too. But, you know, we got to be careful. We got to keep wearing the masks. We got to lock down. We can't really travel very much. Just 15 more days, folks. Just 15 more days. I'm going to have a long gray beard and I'm going to be telling you just 15 more days. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from top 10 guy one who says Joe Biden probably approves of this stimulus, this COVID relief bill. $600 was enough to buy a house and three cars back in his day. That makes sense. Back in the old days where the world was just full of corn pops and malarkey, $600, by golly, that would get, that would take, get you through your whole life. But now, of course, there's been inflation since the 1530s. And so Uh, It doesn't get you quite as far. And President Trump's not so happy about this COVID relief bill because of that. Because people are not prepared to shut down the country for 11 months and not be allowed to work and still have your bills coming in and all this sorts of madness. People are not prepared. You, however, should be prepared. And that's why you've got to get ReadyWise. ReadyWise makes being prepared simple and affordable. Order online and have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. ReadyWise products are proudly made in the USA. You shouldn't have to sacrifice taste and nutrition with emergency food. ReadyWise uses the finest ingredients and latest food preparation technology to ensure optimal taste and freshness. Each recipe is crafted by a team of chefs to provide delicious nutritional meals, especially during critical times. With a 99% satisfaction rate and millions of products sold, ReadyWise has quickly become the leader in emergency preparedness. To me, this is a no-brainer. First of all, the food tastes great, which that's sort of beside the point even. You just want peace of mind. You just want to know that when things go south, and maybe we all realize that that's very possible, (laughs) that you are ready, your family's prepared. This week, my listeners can get 15% off readywise.com 
when entering Knowles15 at checkout or by calling 855-453-2945. ReadyWise has a 30-day no questions asked return policy. There is no risk taking the initiative to get you and your family prepared today. That is R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com, promo code Knowles15 to get 15% off. You thought that this whole epidemic was getting better. Oh no, it's getting worse, much, much worse. And according to our allegedly optimistic, normal, sunny president-elect Joe Biden, America's darkest days are ahead. But even with the changes in approach, I'm going to put in place in late January, people are still going to be getting sick and dying from COVID. One thing I promise you about my leadership during this crisis, I'm going to tell it to you straight. I'm going to tell you the truth. And here's the simple truth. Our darkest days in the battle against COVID are ahead of us, not behind us. So we need to prepare ourselves to steal our spines. As frustrating as it is to hear, it's going to take patience, persistence, and determination to beat this virus. There'll be no time to waste in taking the steps we need to turn this crisis around. Darker days are only ahead if this schmuck makes it into the White House. It has absolutely nothing to do with the virus. We know that these cynics, these, these politicians, these sociopaths who have forced the lockdown on us, they don't believe their own warnings. When you catch them off camera, they're not wearing masks. They're seeing their family. They're going to Thanksgiving holiday at their houses so they can winterize them, uh, their second homes. They're going to the French laundry to eat Michelin rated dinners without masks on sitting next to each other. And they're laughing at the rest of us. All of the gullible liberals who are going along with these ridiculous kind of precautions. That's what's really going on. The dark, if dark days lie ahead, it's because of these political scoundrels, not because of anything with the virus. And, and it, this is something that drives me so crazy about the media coverage of Trump. What do you hear? Donald Trump could give the most wonderful, hopeful, sunny speech in the world. And it, actually, he did give one of those in South Dakota at Mount Rushmore. And the media said it was dark and divisive. Trump, he's pessimistic. He's dark. He's angry. No. President Trump is the sunniest politician of my lifetime. Probably the only sunnier politician in recent memory was Ronald Reagan, who would say America's best days lie ahead. And then you have Joe Biden, who says America's darkest days lie ahead. Everyone says Trump is fear-mongering. Trump isn't fear-mongering at all. Trump says we're going to find solutions. Don't live in fear of the virus. Joe Biden is the one fear-mongering. And he's doing it for a couple of reasons. One, because he gets to the White House. He will institute some draconian policies for some short period of time, and then he'll claim credit for having cured the virus, even though he doesn't deserve any credit for that because we already got the cure before Joe Biden became, well, frankly, we got it before even the election, but they announced it a week after the election. We already know all of this, uh, but he'll, he would claim credit for it. And two, because it's a, a, a way to amass more power. And that's what these politicians have been pulling the whole time. So if America's darkest days lie ahead, how are we going to get through those dark days? A lot of people have been out of work at this point, what, 11 months? Congress sent them $1,200. Maybe people got $1,200 earlier. It doesn't get you very far. Well, now we've got a, a wonderful, major, important stimulus COVID relief plan 
Congress is going to send some of you $600 for being out of work 11 months. And Nancy Pelosi says, this is very significant. We also have in the legislation uh, direct payments, which were not in the Republican bill, to America's working families. I would like them been bigger, but they are uh, significant and they will be going out soon. Very significant. Now, look, Pelosi, she wishes it could have been bigger. How big is this relief bill going to be? It's going to be like a trillion dollars and there's another trillion some odd dollars uh, added on with all sorts of foreign aid and all sorts of payoffs to political cronies. But, you know, unfortunately, all Congress could find was 600 measly dollars for the inconvenience of destroying your livelihoods for the past year. Significant. Is $600 significant? I don't think so. When we're talking about keeping you out of work for an entire year. Nancy Pelosi wouldn't think so too, if it were politically convenient for her to say what she really thought. Because I remember two years ago, do you remember this? Two years ago, President Trump passes this tax bill, this tax reform bill. And Nancy Pelosi comes out and says, this bill is terrible. You know, it gives tax breaks to zillionaires and corporations. And that wasn't true. The the tax bill also gave about a thousand dollars in relief to individuals. And you know, Nancy Pelosi, $1,000, who needs $1,000? That ain't nothing but crumbs. The, in terms of the bonus that corporate America received versus the crumbs that they are giving to workers to kind of put the schmooze on is so pathetic. It's so pathetic. It, it is pathetic. I hate to say that I agree with Nancy Pelosi two years ago, but I do agree with Nancy Pelosi two years ago. By the way, at the, at at the time, in terms of a tax bill, that's a pretty good break. But we are now in this unprecedented moment where these politicians for their own political ends, can't forget it was an election year, decided to shut down the country, destroy people's lives. Even before the the coronavirus gave them the excuse to do this, you had prominent left-wingers, guys like Bill Maher, who said, we need a recession. We need a recession. I know it'll hurt some people, but we need it because that's the only way that we can get Trump out. So, and, and frankly, the left did more than give us a recession. The left shut down the country for a year. And then the way they're going to make it up to us is $600. No, I can't tell you how many letters I've seen, tweets, posts, all over the place from people who say, I lost my savings. I lost my business. My family is really struggling. And you can take your $600 and shove it. I don't want it. It's just not enough. I would, I would much rather, and I think a lot of people feel this way, not get the $600 right now, even if, even if a lot of people need it. And I know a lot of people who need it. Better to not get the $600 than to go along with this outrageous, offensive bill that is going to indebt generations after us, first of all, because of these ridiculous spending projects. And that is frankly such a slap in the face. Uh, These these, uh, elite politicians in DC, members of both parties, more the Democrats, but some Republicans too, saying, oh, the the plebeians, they're they're complaining again. Give them $600. $600. What does that come out? It comes out to about six bucks a day since they shut down the country. That's adding it on to the 1200 that we got early on. Six bucks a day, not worth it, not going to make a difference. They need to veto this bill 
Very fortunately, President Trump has intimated that he will veto this bill. He's just going to stop it right in its tracks. When you want to stop bad things in their tracks, then you need to check out Axon Taser. Taser's line of non-lethal self-protection devices are small and lightweight enough to carry with you or in your glove compartment or purse. They're also powerful enough to incapacitate an attacker. They use an electrical charge to immobilize attackers for up to 30 seconds. This gives you time to escape to safety and send emergency dispatch to your GPS location. They also have laser-assisted targeting. You can protect yourself and your family with Taser's line of smart self-defense products. Sometimes, you know, there are regulations on what you can bring here, what you can bring there. Taser, you can use it in a whole lot of places. It's really agile. Taser is available without a permit in most U.S. states. Get the Taser Pulse Plus or Taser Strike Light at taser.com with promo code Knowles, get W-L-E-S. Save 15% now at taser.com, promo code Knowles. That is T-A-S-E-R.com, promo code Knowles, W-L-E-S. Restrictions apply. See site for details. President Trump comes out yesterday over the protests of his advisors, over the protests of Republican leadership in the Congress, Republican leadership in the Senate. And he says, this bill is outrageous and not good enough for me. I'm also asking Congress to immediately get rid of the wasteful and unnecessary items from this legislation and to send me a suitable bill or else the next administration will have to deliver a COVID relief package. And maybe that administration will be me and we will get it done. Thank you very much. So President Trump goes in and I love that he's not giving up hope, by the way. Absolutely love that. He goes in and he describes what is going on in this COVID relief bill. The $900 billion package provides hardworking taxpayers with only $600 each in relief payments. And not enough money is given to small businesses, and in particular restaurants, whose owners have suffered so grievously. They were only given a deduction, but two years is not acceptable. It's not enough. Congress found plenty of money for foreign countries, lobbyists, and special interests while sending the bare minimum to the American people who need it. It wasn't their fault. It was China's fault, not their fault. I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 for a couple. Love that. Absolutely. My man, let's do it. What you're going to hear from a lot of left-wingers now is, wait a second, I, I thought Republicans were concerned about spending too much money. <laughs> we, we don't want to spend money on your stupid uh, investments, which are really just payoffs to the liberal institutions. We don't want to spend a bunch of money to study shrimp running on treadmills. We don't want to spend a bunch of money on all of that nonsense. But we do want to spend money when you are insisting that Americans not work for a year. So he says, this is not going to work. I am demanding that you increase this number from 600 to 2000. All of his advisors around him were saying, no, come on. That's not how it's done. You should have said this earlier when the Republicans were negotiating. I don't care about the Republican leadership in the House and in the Senate. What have they done for us lately? The, The one good thing I'll say about Republican leadership in the Senate, they've given us a lot of judges. 
Not that it's mattered a whole lot, but it's something. But for the rest, I don't care. Good, send them back. As President Trump says, this could be the, the problem for the future administration, but he is not going to put his name on this trash. And then he comes in and says that the next administration might be him. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Some fight, some spine. He doesn't have to give this thing up until January 20th. Maybe there will be some deus ex krakina that comes in before then, you know, just that kraken we were promised. Maybe something happens. But even if not, Trump is going to keep on fighting. He's going to keep acting as the president of the United States until the very end. I do hope the next administration is his uh, because Joe Biden is a liar and a crook. Joe Biden is going out from the office of the president-elect and he's giving his sort of silly press conferences to these fawning reporters. And then occasionally you'll get a reporter who doesn't just give him everything he wants. Peter Ducey from Fox News asks Joe Biden if the allegations against his son Hunter are Russian disinformation. And Joe Biden, oh, he laughs and laughs. Though, of course, those allegations, they're completely ridiculous. It's all Vladimir Putin. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. God love you, man. You, you're a one-horse pony. I tell you. Thank you. Thank you. I promise you my Justice Department will be totally on its own making its judgments about how they should proceed. Thank you. First question. What is a one-horse pony? Is that, is there any relation between the one-horse pony, presumably a pony that only rides on one horse, and a dog-faced pony soldier? Usually a dog-faced pony soldier could get on a one-trick pony, but I've never heard of a one-horse pony before. I guess Joe got a little confused. How strange, huh? Also, also, <laughs> the Hunter Biden allegations, which big tech and the mainstream media spent weeks actively suppressing in, in a, an unprecedented way on big tech, they wouldn't even let you message the New York Post article discussing those allegations out. Then later on, they said, oh, look at these allegations. Gosh, what could those be? Those allegations cannot be Russian disinformation because Hunter Biden already confirmed the allegations. He already confirmed that there is an investigation into his finances at the federal level. He can, the, the investigation into his finances has been going on before Bill Barr even got to the DOJ. This is a, another great example where the Biden family needs to get on the same page with regard to their lies because Hunter Biden comes out, says, I never talked to my dad about my, or no, I'm sorry, Joe Biden comes out first. He says, I never talked to Hunter about Hunter's business dealings. Then Hunter goes and gives an interview to a magazine and later to television and said, yeah, I talked to my dad about the business dealings. And he said, I better know what I'm doing. And then you can actually, in the TV interview, you see Hunter Biden realize that he wasn't supposed to say that. He goes, I mean, but yeah, but I didn't, we didn't talk. There was no conversation, no conversation. And then thankfully the interviewer actually said, hold on, you just told me there was a conversation. He goes, yeah, well, okay, that was it though, but that was the only conversation. So they're, they're not on the same page. Now we know Joe Biden absolutely 100% knew about Hunter Biden's business dealings. 
Well, same thing here. Hunter Biden's acknowledging the investigation. Joe Biden probably should too. Joe Biden has been lying for his entire political career. He dropped out of the 1988 race because he lied and plagiarized. He's been lying about really serious things for a long time. Another one of these projections, they always say Trump's the big liar. Trump doesn't lie about it. Trump exaggerates his crowd sizes the way that New Yorkers talk. Okay. The way that every single person (laughs) that I know in New York, they get, sometimes they get a little, uh, they like to embellish their stories a little bit, but it's not a lie. Joe Biden saying, yeah, my son Hunter's crimes are Russian disinformation. That's a lie. That lie matters. That's the liberal establishment for you. When we turn to the woke left, I have to tell you, I got to give them a little bit of credit because the woke left, while they are radical and they would destroy the country, they usually don't lie quite. They say a lot of things that aren't true, but they're earnest. They're sincere about them and they don't lie about themselves. You, You remember early on when BLM was destroying our country and burning down cities this summer, conservatives came out and said, you know, these people are Marxists. BLM is an evil Marxist organization. It's explicitly Marxist actually. And the liberal establishment said, how that's racist. That's a lie. How dare you? They're not Marxist. Well, then we got a video of the founder of BLM and she comes out and she says, I'm a trained Marxist. That founder of BLM, Patrice Cullors, just came out to clear up the record. Am I a Marxist? Take a listen. We're going to talk about something that I have been accused of over the last several months. It's been intense at times. It's been hilarious at times, but I feel like I need to set the record straight. Am I a Marxist? I've seen a lot of y'all's comments. In fact, I got them right here. Do not fall for their trick. They're pushing a communist agenda. I'm sorry, this is really funny. <laughs> now she's laughing. She's mocking this idea. So as you're watching this video, you say, oh, she, I guess she's not a Marxist or she's at least going to deny that she's a Marxist, right? Because it, you, you see the, the comment, don't be fooled. They're pushing a communist agenda. Communist, what, <laughs> what would give you the sense that I, the founder of Black Lives Matter, I'm a communist? But then she admits she's a communist. I'm a lot of things. I do believe in Marxism. It's a philosophy that I learned really early on in my organizing career. We were taught to learn about the systems that were criticizing capitalism. We were taught to understand why there were philosophies that were criticizing capitalism. I'm working on making sure that people don't suffer. I'm working to make sure people don't go hungry. And These comments that I've received have been incredibly hurtful. It means that so many people who have listened to people like me inside Black Lives Matter and across other social justice organizations aren't really taking our work very seriously. But I do believe that we can get to a place where there's a socioeconomic system that doesn't oppress some groups of people and only uplifts a few. We can't allow for fear to dictate how we understand what's possible. <laughs> Did you see that subtle shit? She goes, ha ha ha, I can't believe you're calling me a communist. I mean, yeah, I'm a communist and I support communism and I, I want there to be a communist system and we shouldn't be afraid of that, right? So it goes from, we're being told this is all a lie to being told people are just fear mongering about this. Actually, communism's great. Communism, uh, not great. Bloodiest ideology ever there was by my, by my count in Soviet Union, in China, 
uh, all over the third world. That's what we're being told. Under communism, you understand, everybody is equal, but some people are more equal than others. And we're seeing that play out right now in the socialist supporting squad. There is uh, some members of the squad, these radicals in the Democratic Party, who uh, want some certain privileges, particularly when it comes to the vaccine. Now, you can get a special privilege if you become a Daily Wire insider or above member. You can get 20% off the, uh, the membership with code watch over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. You get 20% off. That is dailywire.com slash subscribe. You get tons of new, new content, all the PragerU library, including my show over there, the book club, uh, Candace Owens' show at PragerU. By the way, you're getting Candace Owens, who's coming to Daily Wire. You can get Apollo 11, what we saw. You get all sorts of stuff. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. Get 20% off with code watch. We'll be right back with a lot more. There should be no special privileges for anybody. Everybody has got to get exactly the same sort of stuff. That is what we are told by these socialist supporting radicals in the Democratic Party. And yet those same most vocal socialists are the ones who want special privileges for themselves, namely Ayanna Presley, who is known as the Ringo of the squad. She's sort of the least important member of the squad. She's you know, at least AOC puts on a good show or even Ilhan Omar is sort of cartoonishly wicked and evil, giggling about Al-Qaeda. Ayanna Presley just hasn't been able to shine quite as well as uh, the other ones. Ayanna Presley is coming out now uh, to get the coronavirus vaccine, even though she's young, seems relatively healthy. She's coming out and getting it uh, before a lot of older people do, even before a lot of healthcare workers do. And uh, she's advocating a totally new arrangement, a uh, list of priorities for who gets the vaccine, including not just people like herself, but also criminals. Yes, I did have the vaccine administered yesterday uh, in, in an in order to maintain the continuity of government, but also because, you know, I live with, like millions of Americans, um, two pre-existing conditions um, and in doing my part. Uh, both to keep myself safe so that I can continue to do my job to fight for my district and the American people, keeping my family safe, but also uh, stopping the spread of this virus, which has raged out of control, which has everything to do with the willful criminality uh, of Donald Trump. And I'm going to continue to fight for our most vulnerable communities who have been disproportionately impacted by the virus, for our healthcare workers, for our essential workers, for incarcerated men and women to be prioritized in the distribution of the vaccine. Wait a second. What? Hold on. <laughs> I totally expect these political hacks like Ayanna Presley to come out and say, look, it's very important for the continuity of government that I, some random congressman, more or less unimportant to the function of government, that I receive this vaccine before anyone else does. I have to, I, I wish I didn't have to, but I have to. I'm so integral to the functioning of the government. <laughs> you could, you could get rid of half the members of Congress, wouldn't change a thing about the way the government works, but I have to get, okay, you expect that. But then at the end, she says, yeah, we need to give it to people, you know, who have been marginalized, who need the vaccine more than others and to, uh, incarcerated men and women. And, uh, that's what you need. Hold on. 
incarcerated men and women, I guess that's the euphemism for criminals. Criminals get the vaccine before my grandma does. Are you out of your mind? Have you lost your, I don't know that she had the mind to lose in the first place, but certainly if she ever had one, it is gone. No, criminals don't get prioritized for the vaccine. We've taken our understanding of criminal justice and completely flipped it on its head. You see this most notably on the left here where they cry and they wail and they gnash their teeth and they rend their garments whenever some triple murderer, rapist, serial killer gets his just desserts in the execution chamber, but they clamor, they, they rally, they cheer in support of slaughtering a million innocent babies a year. That's, ex- that's not just a little moral confusion. That's a, an exact inversion of a, of a serious moral framework. And that's what we're seeing here. I'm not saying you need to torture the criminals. I'm not saying you need to be cruel to the criminals. I'm not saying you need to deprive the criminals of the vaccine, but they don't get first dibs. Are you crazy? Yes, this woman is crazy. And I should point out selfish and cynical because she's taking this vaccine before other people would get it. Now, because every once in a while, twice a day, a stopped clock is correct. Maybe it's actually a chilly day in hell. I don't know. Ilhan Omar, sort of the most villainous member of the squad, said something correct. She said something actually pretty wise. She was asked, is uh, seemingly our entire top political leadership getting the vaccine ahead of others because of their age or because of their importance, right? They feel that they're very important. So AOC got the vaccine before elderly people who need it. Uh, This woman, Ayanna Presley, got the vaccine before elderly people who need it. Uh, Ilhan Omar came out and smacked it down and said, "Uh, I'm not going to get the vaccine before other people. This is wrong. I'm going to wait in line. And as people who are at greater risk of dying from the virus, get it. After that, I'll get it because I'm young, I'm healthy. And the overall survival rate, according to recent studies, is 99.7%. So that's pretty good. And if you're young and healthy, you have statistically almost zero chance of dying from this thing. That's pretty sensible. I can't, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Ilhan Omar has been proving herself this week to be one of the most sensible members of the House Democratic Caucus. Very, very sad and scary thing. Now, how did Ayanna Presley justify getting this virus or getting this vaccine rather before elderly people who need it? Well, she said, look, I have, I have preexisting conditions. Right? She never says what the preexisting conditions are. She never says how severe it is. She never says what her risk of dying from this vaccine would be. She never explains why her conditions make her more important than elderly people who have more serious conditions. She just says, look, I'm, look, I'm a victim. I don't need to explain to you how I'm a victim. I'm just, I'm a huge, vi-. look, the incarcerated men and women, incarcerated Americans with a hyphen in the middle, you know, also known as criminals. They are victims of the system, you know, and oppression and everything. And so they need to get special privileges. If you can claim victimhood in any way, no matter how dubious your claims, you can then demand special privileges. You see this very clearly in a video that went viral over the past few days of a woman with blue hair, which is I'm not saying 100% of the time it means you've got a certain political view. It's just a kind of way, it's a symbol, okay? It's a, it's a way to guess. It's a way of placing, placing bets. Uh, this blue-haired lady comes out and she says that 
a fat people or a victim group. You've got to stop being fat phobic. And we've got to totally reorient society to make fat people feel better about themselves. If you want to be a great ally to fat people, here are some things you can do. When you go to the doctor, encourage them to do the following things. Eliminate any weight or BMI cutoff policies. Stop using the BMI completely because it is ineffective and racist. Get medical equipment that will actually work for fat patients, like blood pressure cuffs that fit and won't give a false high reading because they're too tight. Set up their office in a way that makes it usable for fat people, like putting chairs without arms in every room. When you go to a clothing store, tell them to expand their size range. It does not matter what their size range currently is. Tell them to expand it. If you work in education, get in touch with the health and PE departments. Ask them if they have anything in their curriculum that involves students weighing themselves, counting calories, or using the BMI in any capacity. If they do, educate them on how all of these practices lead to eating disorders and ask them to stop. That's a lot of things to do. What would be the purpose of that? Oh, to be an ally to fat people. To be an ally. And what does it mean to be an ally? It means to support people to, to help them out, to be compassionate. But you'll notice the way that the left has defined compassion means indulging whatever desires or appetites, pun actually not intended, but uh, sort of passions or desires or appetites that people have uh, at any time. That's considered compassion. And a little tough love or a, a little reference to objective reality or a little suggestion that maybe people live a healthier lifestyle or even, as this woman says, the, the body mass index, the, the medical uh, sort of table uh, that tells you if you're maybe a little unhealthy or maybe healthy or maybe this is how you should change your lifestyle, that is considered offensive and an attack on someone and not compassionate, not being an ally. And the opposite is true. If you, you know, people come in all shapes and sizes, not everyone's going to be like a rail thin model, nor really should they be, but it is better to be healthy than to be unhealthy. And if you've got compassion for someone who's say 500 pounds, then you might say, Hey, maybe, you know, work out a little bit, or maybe stop eating, you know, 20 meals a day, or maybe get into better shape. I'm an ally to you because I want you to live longer because I want you to have a better quality of life because I want you to flourish and I want you to thrive. But now we're not allowed to say that. You see this applied in gender theory too, gender ideology, which is if you got a man who has this sort of either very, very rare psychological condition where he's a man and he thinks he's a woman, or he has this kind of social contagion, which is, uh, has been spreading a lot of confusion that, you know, maybe there's something going on in his life. And I don't know, he feels that if he pretends to be a woman, that'll make him feel better or something. The left tells you it's compassionate to lie to them and to say, yes, you really are a woman. And we're going to let you go change in the little girl's room at the public pool. And that's going to be really compassionate. That's not compassionate. Lies are never, ever compassionate. The truth is compassionate. The truth will set you free. This is a new standard. The standard completely flips the old standard. The old standard is the truth will set you free. The new standard is uh, only lies will set you free. I mean, really at the heart of, of all of these kind of radical ideologies is the idea of liberation. There's the op oppressive past, the oppressive superstructure, the oppressive patriarchy, the oppressive white supremacy, the oppressive thin supremacy, I don't know, whatever. And you've got to be liberated from that. And the way to be liberated is by lying. And actually getting back to, to Marxism, uh, this, is, this is almost 
explicitly the claim here, which is you've got a certain human nature right now, and that's true, but we need to lie about human nature in order to transform human nature. Then we'll have a new human nature, and then everything will be tickety-boo. And that's just not how it happens. And nothing, nothing whatsoever is uh, immune to this. You know, talk about redefining standards. The World Health Organization has redefined the term herd immunity. So in 2019, you can read the definition of herd immunity was when a virus spreads or whatever illness spreads throughout a population, and then enough of them have gotten it that they develop an immunity, and then therefore it's not going to spread as quickly. 2020, the, the World Health Organization changed that definition to saying that it's when enough of the population gets a vaccine. Now, that, uh, the word Orwellian is overused, so I, I don't, I don't want to use it, but sometimes when the shoe fits, the shoe fits. This is, this is what they do. This is what the left does, is redefines everything. There's this line in 1984 where uh, Winston is speaking and he says, you know, every record has been altered, every history has been rewritten. Nothing exists except the eternal present in which the party is always right. Well, that's what's happening. And the, the part of the left and even part of the squishy right has this f- pretense, this fantasy they live under, that there's the political realm and then there's science, you know, and science is this special thing outside of politics. And so forget, we shouldn't make things political. We should just defer to science and that'll tell us how to live our lives. And, and the simple fact of the matter is that demagogues and almost exclusively demagogues r- rely on science to push their political agenda because it's a way of, of implying that your position is beyond the realm of debate and that everybody has to go along with it. And the left takes a scientific view of history and politics and the right doesn't want to engage in difficult questions. So they want to defer to science too. And they don't like being called uneducated and they don't like being called idiots. So they'll defer to that as well. But I think what the World Health Organization is showing you here is that even science exists within a context. Why did our understanding of modern science even arise? Why did it arise here in the West when it did, and it didn't arise elsewhere in the world at other times because of Christianity, basically, but because of Christianity, which gave us the university system during the Middle Ages, which allowed modern science to flourish because of the Christian understanding of God, who is logic, right? As opposed to say Allah, the God of Islam, who is pure will, right? Who is not bound in any way by logic. Well, if, if you worship a God who is logic, then, then logic and a s- sort of detachment, objective reality are going to play a far greater role in your culture, in the, in the way that you understand yourself, in the way that you understand the world. And even, he- even science will bend the knee to the dominant cultural narrative. You saw this, the New England Journal of Medicine just did this a couple of weeks ago where they said we, a number of doctors there said we should no longer have sex on birth certificates because that's oppressive somehow. So now science is denied, an actual scientific medical journal is denying biological sex, redefining standards. This is something Trump really, really understood. It's why he said my campaign is basically out here to, to oppose political correctness in 2015, because that is the new standard. It goes by other names, wokeism, whatever, but political correctness is kind of what we're talking about. And this affects not just science, not just politics. It affects even our buildings. And President Trump has just issued an executive order 
that is so beautiful. People think this is a trivial issue because it regards beauty, regards architecture, it regards buildings. Actually, this executive order might be the most significant legacy of the entire Trump administration. Forget the judges, forget the tax cuts. This could be the, the long, longest lasting. These buildings last a long time. President Trump signs this new executive order prohibiting new federal buildings from being built in anything other than neoclassical Georgian federal Greek revival, Beaux-Arts, or Art Deco styles. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you have been to Washington, D.C., you know that there, there are two Washington, D.C.'s. There's the Washington, D.C. of the big, beautiful, the monuments, some of the monuments. Now, I guess the more recent monuments are pretty ugly, but the older monuments, the older buildings are grand. They're stately. They're beautiful. And then there's the hideous, brutalist, modern DC of these ugly office buildings filled with people who are doing ugly work for a government that does ugly things. Those are the two different kinds of DC. Maybe you see this most notably in courthouses. You have the old courthouses, which are stately, columns, ornamentation, high ceilings. And you have new courthouses, which are hideous, which are small, which are ugly. And these reflect different views of the law. In the one view, the law is eternal, at least long enduring. The law is grander than all of us. It's bigger than men. We are dwarfs standing before the law. It, it, has, it looks in a way like a temple because in a way it is a temple. It is a, there, there is a religious significance to the law, to justice, right? That's the old version. The new version, this small little place, it's like any other office. It's kind of just reminds us of our homes, maybe our apartment building, our office building. And we're going to kind of do whatever we want here. This is just about us. And, and you can look, the, the country was in many ways uh, more serious about the law, more serious about it, philosophy back when we had those kinds of beautiful buildings. Beyond that, and this is where I think some of the s- extremist small government people kind of lose me, is there is such a thing as the public, public spaces, and you want them to be beautiful. Goodness, truth, and beauty. That's what you want. Those, those are, that's, that's what you're after, right? And if you live in an ugly place, you're going to have an, an often an ugly life. You're going to, it's going to affect the way you think. It's going to affect the way you feel about yourself. It's going to affect the way you feel about your country. That's why they built all these beautiful buildings in the first place. That's why great civilizations have great buildings. And uh, President Trump is saying, I don't want these ugly things anymore. I want, he initially called this the make federal buildings beautiful again, executive order. He proposed it in February. He's retitled it in the actual executive order promoting beautiful federal civic architecture. Uh, and this executive order, you know, if it's not repealed, will, uh, could be very significant because these buildings endure a long time. Now, some people criticize the executive orders. They say, well, look, Biden can just repeal the executive orders. He, Trump needs to pass laws. I kind of disagree with this, actually. It, it's good to pass laws, I guess, but the fact is our legislators in the Congress don't really write most of our laws. They barely write any of our laws. Our laws effectively are written by bureaucrats in the executive agencies with very little oversight. And therefore, if that's where the laws are written, then the, the best way to 
rein those in, the best way to try to effect some political change is through executive order, right? Because you're directing the agencies and the agencies are the ones writing the laws. Maybe that's not the way the constitution set it up, but that is practically the way things are working. Speaking of new federal buildings, by the way, we're about to get two unfortunate federal buildings. The Smithsonian's uh, Women's History Museum Act and the National Museum of the American Latino Act were just folded into, into the massive legislation that was put into the uh, coronavirus relief and government funding package. This is one of the many reasons that this stupid bill should be shot down. We should not have a women's history museum or a national museum of the American Latino. Not because women and Latinos don't deserve recognition for things they've done, but because to separate the Women's History Museum and the Latino History Museum from the American History Museum is to imply that women and Latinos are not American. And that's exactly what the leftist cynics who are pushing for these stupid buildings are trying to imply. They're trying to say, yeah, this America has excluded all of you. You have nothing to do with America. We're all very different. We all need to remain divided so that we on the left can conquer you. Mike Lee, Senator from Utah, totally gets this and, and explained the problem with this legislation as he was inveighing against it. For that reason, the Smithsonian Institution is more than just another line item in our federal budget. It's one of the great cultural triumphs of our republic. From the moment of our founding, the United States has faced an almost unique problem in history. How do we turn our huge nation's cultural, religious, ethnic, and regional differences from a potential weakness into a real strength? The way our nation has always achieved this is by creating institutions that unite Americans around shared interests and the mystic chords of collective memory. The Constitution, the Senate itself, our free enterprise economy, our armed forces and public schools, federalism, localism, the First Amendment, and even March Madness all fit this bill. They have the power to harness our individual and community differences to the common good of the whole nation. Totally right. He gets it. This is an extraordinarily insightful take. It is simply a fact that human beings are tribal. Uh, it is simply a fact that a challenge in the United States is that you've got lots of different tribes first among the colonies between different uh, religious groups then, and also different ethnic groups from within Northern Europe, then different ethnic groups from including Southern Europe, some of whom didn't like one another. The Italians and the Irish didn't like each other very much. Then different ethnic groups from all over the world and this persistent issue of slavery, which became rather racialized during, especially during the, the 19th century. And so you've got these different tribal groups. How do you all get along? Common religion. We don't really have a common religion. Broadly, we have, we have broadly the common religion of Christianity, but there are some exceptions to that. Uh, we've got common language, sort of not as much anymore. We, we don't have common race. We don't have co common uh, sexual desire, I guess would be a new uh, differentiator today. So how do you all come together? Well, what Lee was doing there was referring to a, a line of, I, th I think Abraham Lincoln, right? The mystic chords of memory, this idea that we all have to come together to agree on the idea of our country, the traditions of our country, the history of our country. We need to uh, hold that up. We need to support that. We need to believe in that sort of thing. And uh, un unfortunately, on 
the left. They want to divide that up. Either you will come together as Americans and say, we all support this country. You know, you won't protest the American flag. You won't burn the American flag. You'll say, well, we, at the very least, the one thing that unites us is that we're Americans. You've got the mystic chords of memory to use the old phrase. You've got uh, Trump's phrase that we all bleed the same red blood of patriots. Either you will have that or you won't have a country because of human nature, because of the unique history of this country. Very, very bad idea to, to continue to push these divisive sort of buildings and ideas. I'll give you an example of one of the, the clear ways that, uh, that we're all sort of finally divided up. Very few people believe that this vaccine is safe. Just 49% of Americans. Most people do not believe that this vaccine is safe. Why is that? Is it because of the science? Is it because of the way that this was rolled out? Perhaps. I think it's because we don't quite trust the country anymore. We don't have faith in our institutions. We'll have to leave it there for today. We'll get more into that tomorrow. Do we want a country? Do we want to have a country? Do we want to be together as a country or do we not? Well, we're going into a new year. Are America's brightest days ahead or are our darkest days ahead? Suppose that's up to us. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production assistant, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm -hmm. 